In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Argos break the streak and win on Labor Day in Hamilton 28-8 the final. JB, I did not have faith in the double blue today. I picked a Hamilton win. You knew better. You picked you picked a win. Is this how you thought it would go? Uh, I thought Hamilton would be better. I, I didn't realize that uh, Dane Evans wasn't going to play at all. Uh, when I gave Hamilton a, a fighting chance to win, but I felt, you know, I felt that the Argos had a really good feel for what Hamilton did, and there was no way Hamilton was going to be able to change that in a week. So I felt confident that they were going to go into Hamilton and uh, and put up a bunch of points. Yeah, I also would have taken the Argos had I known it was going to be Jamie Newman starting uh, but that's not the the rules we play with so uh, I'm, I'm happy to take the the L in this case let's talk a little bit about that decision before we get into a recap and and start breaking some things down so we hear a few days ago that Jamie Newman is going to start at quarterback and the reason this was weird to me is that Dane Evans, like, he hasn't been playing well this year. He's had his, the worst year of his career. However, he's still a professional quarterback and an experienced quarterback and has done some like, really good things against the Toronto Argonauts. Plus, he had three straight days of practicing full and was deemed healthy. He, you know, he dressed for the game, had three straight practices where, where you know, he was out there doing everything that was asked of him. Uh, a little bit surprising, no? <laughs> is there a is there a player I'm unaware of that maybe Hamilton is tanking for? Yeah, like it, it, in in other leagues and other scenarios, you'd start wondering because it just didn't seem to make a lot does, of sense to me. Now, does Jake Bird have a younger brother? <laughs> that's right, number one overall, uh, younger Bird. I, I think you know you and I talked about this a, a little bit after the game. Was there maybe a test going on? Did Hamilton want to see, you know, let's take a good look at, at Morton. Let's take a good look at Newman before maybe making a move. I know they, they joked about it, uh, I guess, on, on the broadcast about uh, maybe bringing in Bo Levi Mitchell. Look, Hamilton is not out of this yet. They're a game and a half out of a playoff spot. They're two and a half back of Toronto, but a game and a half back of a, a playoff spot. I know it was a joke, but maybe maybe this was like, let's take a look at these other guys. Just make sure before we make a big move for another quarterback that we're absolutely sure it's not going to be one of these two guys. Uh, it, you know, if that happens over the next couple of days, then we'll know that 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 was what was going on here. But I just don't I don't believe that's what was happening. I, I think they felt like they needed something different. I think they felt like Evans wasn't, based on how he'd been playing this year, he wasn't going to go out there today and beat the Argonauts. I think that's what they felt in, uh, you know, in, in, inside the Hamilton organization. And they thought, well, let's see if we can catch lightning in a bottle here with one of these guys that Toronto really hasn't got much film on. Maybe they'll come out and, and play extremely well. And it just, it didn't work out for them. No, I mean, they have Evans. You know, he he is the... You know the quarterback of the future, I guess. Uh, in terms of his contract, um, you know, were they worried about putting him out there and and having the crowd kind of get enraged at him because he's not a hundred percent? 
it seems really weird to me that he's dressed and he didn't play. I, I understand not being dressed, but if, if you're well enough to dress, I just can't believe they didn't bring him in in the third quarter while the game was still in reach. And, you know, they just seemingly punted the whole game. They, you know, they brought in the other guy and, and, and he's worse. Yeah, Hamilton didn't score. The Hamilton's offense didn't score a single point today. And I think this is actually a good illustration. And don't get me wrong here. I'm not making a direct comparison between Chad Kelly and Jamie Newman. But I want to look at this for Argos fans who have been asking. And, and again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because we've debated Bethel Thompson, Chad Kelly. We've talked about this topic a lot. But but this is what a rookie quarterback typically looks like. Jamie Newman isn't nobody. Just remember that J.B. Newman was supposed to be an NFL first round draft pick. He played at Wake Forest. In his last season at Wake Forest, he was he was incredible. I had a chance to actually see him in person. He was an exciting touchdown making machine. He was uh, passing all over the field. He was running all over the field. He was an outstanding college quarterback, so much so that he transferred to Georgia and Georgia had planned on him being the guy in what was their national championship season of 2020. COVID struck, Jamie Newman decided not to play uh, and not hurt his chances because he, he was had been projected as a first round pick. People were saying he was the third best quarterback in that draft class behind behind uh, Justin Lawrence and and uh, or sorry Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And uh, but he you know he ended up sitting out the year, uh, no recent film on him. Everyone took a pass and his his projection completely changed. And so again, he's not nobody. He was a highly touted prospect. And you look at him as a first year starting quarterback in the CFL and this is typically what it looks like. And I'm not writing off Jamie Newman as a quarterback for his CFL career. He may go on to do great things. CFL rookies look like this. You go back to the, all the CFL greats even look like this. Even guys like Doug Flutie look essentially like this in their first year. And so it's, I think, a really nice illustration for people wondering why we haven't seen Chad Kelly, why he didn't come in to replace Bethel Thompson when McLeod had had rough games. It's because this is like, it would this be what you were hoping to see? And of course the answer is no. JB, let's get through our uh, recap here. So uh, not ideal conditions, as is always the case at, uh, at Tim Hortons Field, but I, I didn't think it was windy enough to merit choosing wind in you know both both first and second half it just didn't seem like that kind of game like it does get windy sometimes the weather does affect play certainly at Tim Hortons Field we've seen that before and Hamilton's been snake bit by it on many occasions including uh, in the Grey Cup but this didn't seem like one of those games it wasn't that strong the weather wasn't great there was a bit of rain it was wet it was windy but I think that was a mistake from Hamilton, Which thinking is, that they needed to yeah. choose side. And, and what's odd is, you know, they made the same mistake in Toronto. Right. And, like, obviously did not feel it was a mistake, even though, you know, from where I sit, it clearly was a game-losing mistake. Uh, very... Hamilton is uh, an enigma wrapped in a mystery. I don't, I don't know what is happening uh, down the highway. 
they make really strange decisions for for coin tosses. They they have it's in their heads, I think now because they've done it now for like three three or four seasons now, where it's just like what's going on here. And yet they might be the best team in the league with coaches challenges. They're so good at challenges, and that's something that every CFL coach in the league could take a lesson from them. I, I tweeted that that uh, Coach Steinauer should should run a, a CFL coaches clinic on when to challenge and when not to because he always seems to do it correctly. Even the ones he loses, you totally get why the challenge flag was thrown. Whereas, you know, one that Coach Dinwiddie had today, it's not that it was, it's not that it was wrong, but it just, you could tell just in seeing it once, you're like, well, this is never going to get overturned. There was a terrible one yesterday from Coach Dickinson in Saskatchewan. So it's something that Hamilton does do well, but when it comes to coin flips, not so much. <laughs> I, I just can't get over, I have to say, this was apparently the largest crowd ever at the Tim Hortons Field. Um, and this game was really their whole season. I just do not understand how Dane Evans did not start that game. Yeah, it's our, it's our, we're going to have to look past that because we, we do have to I know, get on with everything I else. But I, Even recapping it, I, this is your whole season where if you beat the Argos on Labor Day, right? It's like... You got that done. I I'm no I'm a I'm still taken aback. Anyways, carry on. All right, let's get into the game itself. A uh, little slow start for for both offenses, but then on the Argos' second possession, they connected on a couple of huge plays. First of all, there was a play I loved. It was quads to the left side. This was the big Banks catch for 53 yards. They had Banks as the number three receiver on the quad side, which they really haven't done a lot this year. For the beginning part of the year, it was Banks isolated one-on-one, which they did a little later, but I, I don't actually typically like that. I want Daniels isolated and I want Banks in the mix, like in that three or four spot where he can really do some damage, where he's matched up against a guy that doesn't typically have the same quickness he does. And they were lucky to catch Hamilton in sort of a a rolling, it wasn't rolling coverage, but they had shifted everybody over and that left Cameron Kelly playing the safety spot and he completely bit on the the high-low. He came in after Ambles who crossed his face and Banks just went sailing by and there was nobody with him for a 53-yard pass. Now, that was actually a really bad ball from Bethel Thompson. Like, not so bad that it, it wasn't going to be completed. Obviously, it was a completed pass, but that's got to be a touchdown. Banks was wide open. Bethel Thompson saw it right away. He just got too much loft on it. And I think that probably comes from a little bit of paranoia, him having thro- overthrown some wide open receivers earlier this year. He knew he just could not afford to miss a wide open receiver again. And so just got a little bit too much air on that. And Banks hauls that in for 53. Doesn't end up mattering because I think was that the very next play or a play after that? Ambles is wide open on yet another bust. Ambles comes across the middle. There's absolutely nobody with him. He does his trademark somersault into the end zone. And it's 7-0 Argos. I, I felt very confident at that point. You're two plays in. Hamilton's defense never busts. They bust on bust back, uh, back-to-back plays. And uh, yeah, they're, they're cruising at that point. Yeah, we had hoped they would come out and have a great first quarter, try and calm down the, uh, you know, turn down the temperature of uh, of the stadium. And that's exactly what it did. It was it was brilliant. I, I, I don't know really what happened to the rest of the quarter's play calling. But I, on their second possession, I loved the deep pass and I loved the touchdown call, but there was other stuff I did not love as much. 
It was a weird day of play calling. Like some calls that I loved, so some things that we've been waiting for all year, some things that I absolutely would not have done, and we'll get to those later. But yeah, it was it was really up and down. And that yeah, the opening or second drive, it felt like the opening drive was terrific. Now, the Argos defense got a chance to to show off uh, early too. I just thought this was the best defensive game plan. I don't know if it's just recency bias, but it felt like the best defensive game plan all year. It helps playing against against rookie quarterbacks, but uh, but not, not always. Like how many times has Toronto seen a, a rookie quarterback come in and get their first ever win or uh, or someone come off the bench and just blow everybody away? And obviously that didn't happen today. What I loved about this uh, defensive game plan from Coach Mace was that it was stuff we've never seen before. We've watched the Argos very closely all season long. Today didn't look like any other game this season. They sent pressure, which they so seldom do. They had uh, zone coverages, which I haven't seen before. Some that I'm really interested in breaking down. I'm excited to to look at the film. I wish we had all 24 for a game like this because they were doing stuff that I, as I was watching, I'm like, I, I have no idea what this is. I, I like I. I, I don't know. I you know, I know it's a, a two or it's a three, but I don't know what kind. And it's a, a weird inversion. And they've got guys dropping here or robber here. It was really cool stuff that they were running today. And it, it expectedly so, the young quarterbacks for Hamilton had no idea what was going on. And they couldn't get anything going. They ended up with a single uh, based, uh, you know, thanks to having the, the wind and uh Actually, no, it was against the wind. That was a, that was a nice punt that just somehow uh, sailed into the end zone, got a really nice bounce. So it was 7-1. Argos add a rouge of their own. Beattie missed a, a field goal. He had hit 12 in a row. Uh, this one didn't look like a really difficult one. He's been hitting from miles away. Uh, misses this short field goal. Do you feel like the wind got a hold of this one? What went on there? Uh, when I watched it, 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 the wind was not blowing hard to the right. I think he just, uh, you know... he. It, it it maybe caught someone. I think he just didn't fully rotate the hips and hit it a bit thin, and there was enough wind to move it, you know, four or five feet. He 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 didn't give himself enough enough leeway enough leeway with the strike. So kind of win, but you know, I think if he if he hits that a little flusher, he he doesn't have to worry about the wind. Is that called pushing it when you when you when the ball goes right for a right footed kicker? That's pushing it and going left is pulling it. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, he is, he is pushing that for sure, right? This golf. I mean, kicking is basically just golf. Um, you know, where he, he didn't overswing, um, you know, he just didn't, he sort of under, underpowered it. And that's what ends up happening where you hit it. Uh, you know, he hit it in an, on a normal day. It's probably good. He just didn't leave himself enough leeway. The second quarter was terrible for the Argonauts and the offensive line completely fell apart. Receivers started dropping balls. I don't know what was going on today. Like, again, I know it wasn't ideal conditions, but you play in much worse. You certainly play in colder conditions. There was some real concern today in the second and third quarter. The Argos couldn't run the ball at all in those quarters and they seemingly couldn't catch either. There's so many bobbled passes, dropped passes, tipped passes. And you know, in weather that you really don't expect to see that kind of thing in. And so the second quarter starts off with a pick six uh, that went kind of right into the hands of Roll. Uh, so what happened here? Everything bad. Nothing good happened on this play for the Argos. So first of all, they completely missed an A-gap blitz. You could see pre-snap, Bladek was talking to Lawrence 
and they're communicating together about something. I, you know, obviously it's not, not like, you know, about the weather or anything like that. They're talking about who's coming through, who's got who. And Santos Knox came through their gap untouched. So obviously whatever Bladek was saying was not understood by Lawrence or vice versa because they both allowed Santos Knox to come flying through the A gap. An A gap blitz kills any play. There's there's really nothing that's going to stand up to to an A gap blitz other than like a perfectly timed jet sweep or something. And so Bethel Thompson has to hurry the throw. He throws it high, so that's our second mistake. And then the third mistake is that Coxie's still got to find a way to come down with that ball. It wasn't easy. It was up really high. It was coming in really fast. But he's got to catch that ball. He tips it straight up into the air. It's an easy pick for roll, and there's nobody there to stop him. And he takes it in for six. And that that ties it up at eight at this point. And and it didn't really get too much better from there for the offense. They they couldn't move the ball all all quarter and all third quarter. No, it was it, to be honest, I was really happy the game was on the road. Because sometimes the crowd, I think the crowd would have been all over them on that pick. I think the crowd would have been all over, you know, whatever it was, seven, eight consecutive two and outs. Um, you know, it would have the crowd would have turned on the Argos, unfortunately, and for I'm not sure why, as opposed to just you know they're working stuff out. This is not a team that can come out and just blow the doors off teams. This is not the 97 Argos. They have to try things and then see what works and then and then kind of build as the game goes on and find weaknesses. That's that's just the nature of this offense. Is you're going to have some rough patches while they figure out what works. Never at any point in the second or third quarter did it feel like this was a game the Argos would eventually win by 20. It just didn't have that sense to it unless weird things started happening. And they kind of did later. But let's let's get through that. So the next thing I want to talk about is the the first Jamal Peters interception of the day as something that uh, he seems to group together. So another two, it was a two interception day for Jamal Peters after three last week. It's pretty incredible to have five interceptions in the course of two games is is amazing. But today's were really different last week. Jamal Peters' interceptions were all skill-based. He was making amazing plays. He was disguising coverage. He was undercutting. He was reading routes, making great catches. Today was a little different. He was in the right place at the right time. So they sent Edwards off the edge on a blitz. Uh, He ended up rushing the throw from, it was Newman, I think, in at that point. McManus tips the pass, and it goes right to Peters uh, for his (laughs) lead-leading, let me try that again, league-leading fifth, interception and then uh he would add another one uh later is that right yeah he's got he's got six now yeah i think that's right so he's yeah he's in the cfl lead in picks uh but yeah great play all around nice timed blitz from edwards he hit it really well mcmanus just getting in the way peters you know he's the guy that has to make the catch ultimately and and they didn't well, do that all game because we saw in the very very next possession carnell no, not making say, a look catch at carnell carnell dropped two interceptions that game so, know. you know, you, you got to catch the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I think full credit to Peters. 
Yeah, and that Carnell one, I, I think that came on the next driver too later, but that was it, that's one that he he just absolutely has to have that. And he wanted that so much being a former Hamilton player and Hamilton never gave him a chance to play. And here he's out here starting in Hamilton on Labor Day. And remember last time he was in the donut box, he made a pick, but it got uh, it got called back because of a, a PI call on Amos. And so, yeah, this this was sort of his revenge pick. And he just couldn't bring it in and then drops a, another one uh, later on in the game. So he, he didn't play a bad game, uh, but you got to catch those picks. You have to catch those. You got to capitalize on a, what was a close game, like an 8-8 game at that time. Those Any one of those plays felt like, man, if they could just have, have come away with this, it would have been different. But it ended up not mattering in the end, I guess. And then it was Toronto's turn to throw an interception. And I, I still don't know what happened exactly on this play. And... I, I, you know, I, I can only, there's, there's two possibilities basically. So uh, Toronto's uh, somewhere around the 30 yard line on this. I think they were like the 27 or 26 or something like that. And Gittens has, uh, is on the outside, right? And that's where McLeod is looking to the right hand side. Gittens pulls up at about 10 yards. Bethel Thompson heaves it into the corner of the end zone. And there's, there's no Argo receiver there. It's, it's picked off. There's two things that could have happened here. One is that this was a read route where he and Gittens were on different pages where if the defender backs away, then Gittens should hook and Bethel Thompson should throw it short. And if the defender's playing in tight uh, and Gittens is able to get even with him, then you go deep. And that's, that's one explanation. The only reason I don't quite buy this is that Having watched the replay now, Bethel Thompson isn't looking in that direction. Like he's he's looking to the right side of the field, but he's not looking at Gittens. Now, sometimes quarterbacks will still throw anticipating where the guy is going to be just based on seeing the coverage in his periphery. But I, it, it was unusual for him. I actually think he was looking. They had a corner route coming across from the number three. And I think that's maybe where he was going. And I think the ball actually slipped out of his hands. Because you look at the trajectory of the ball, it takes off into the sky. It's not it's not like a normal looking pass. It really sails on him. Now, maybe that's because it was going into the wind and I don't like throwing corner routes into the wind. But just that whole play, something was off on it and it just ended up looking like a terrible interception. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it feels as more like that. Because when you watch the TV replay, you know, if that's a read route, clearly, you know, KGJ is right. The The, you know, the... The secondary is, you know, seven yards off him, so it's clearly it's clearly uh, you know a hook. It's clearly not a go, um, and no quarterback would look at that and think it was a go. I I just can't believe that uh, you know that that's what he thought. So I agree with you. I think maybe he just meant to throw something more in the middle of the field and kind of slipped out of his hands because. I just can't. I can't imagine, you know, um, him him being that wrong. Where you know, it's you know, I think a, you know, a high school quarterback could read. Okay, that guy's seven yards away from my receiver. Uh, he's my receiver is going to hook this. Having coached for a long time, I can tell you a lot of receivers would have thought that was a go. Yeah, they always exactly. Think it's a go. I thought that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Heading into the end zone, right? Most guys are like, no, no, no. I had him. It was, yeah, it was a great no. read by KGJ. I, 100%. The guy's playing super soft. Hook it up. 
Yeah. So I don't know what was going on in that. I'm hoping I get a chance to talk to Bethel Thompson this week about that and and we can find out uh, what went on in that play. Because it just didn't look like it, that's not a that's not the kind of read he makes a mistake on. And and I just don't know where that ball was going otherwise. So, yeah, I want to get to the bottom of that mystery. Uh, Argos had a chance to pull ahead late in the first half. Uh, Ticats end up winning a challenge call. They have a flag was thrown. Curly Gens Jr. seemingly interfered with. I actually thought the the challenge was was correct, and I, I wouldn't have thrown the flag in the first place. I would have overturned it. No, uh, it was, it was you, a bailout call. Uh, yeah, he, he just, wasn't. He he was never going to catch that ball. You know, I, it was it was nice to get, but I was like, you know, that. I mean, that use. <laughs> it's weird to get that kind of bailout call on the road, but uh, you know, it now in the age of uh, video overturning, it it didn't last. Yeah, it was. I, I see what the I, I see what the official saw because I can't remember who it was in coverage, but they they did have their arms kind of around yeah, Junior, bit. but they weren't actually touching him. They were just sort of like it was a weird like almost like phantom embrace. But he didn't actually interfere with with getting so that was it was the correct uh, it was the correct decision yeah, in the you end. Can't, you can't get too precious with downfield or or you know or or, or we're going to start playing flag football. Like I under you can't grab and hold, but. You know, I think the CFL understands there, there's going to be contact down the field. So 8-8 at halftime. Did you think that Dane Evans was maybe coming out yeah, third quarter? Yeah, sure. I, 100%. And even when they talked about, okay, there's been a quarterback change. I'm like, oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> Dane Evans is going to come out wearing his white shoes. And, uh, you know, he's going to go 8-for-8 eight eight and uh, put up a touchdown and... There's going to be people in tiger suits running up and down the stairs. And, oh, God, I, I saw it all flash before my eyes. I, you know, but then they were like, no, Dane's just going to keep recording things on the clipboard. All right. You know, that's that's a choice. Yeah, I, I expect that, too. Jalen Morton wasn't the answer today. You look at the <laughs> he's not the like, answer. He's not the answer any day. No, like and I, I get I get the whole Jamie Newman experiment. I really do get yep. that. I, I, I wouldn't have done it myself, but I understand it. But I just don't understand not leaving Jamie Newman in. Like, give him a chance to adjust to it. He was, like, for a rookie, he was actually okay. This is just what a, a, a CFL rookie looks like. He ends up 14 of 25, 56% for 171, no touchdowns, one interception. That, that's not a terrible stat. It's a bad stat line. But that's for a rookie for... For a first start, you know, that kind of thing, that's that's not bad. But yeah, Jalen Morton, two of six, 13 yards and a pick. Uh, that is that is not the relief that they thought they were getting. Um, but Toronto's offense couldn't do a thing. And it was such such terrible, such terrible pass protection. Uh, receivers weren't getting open. Bethel Thompson was making weird throws. They couldn't run at all in the third quarter. There was just nothing doing. And then near the end of the quarter, Toronto started getting hot, but it just felt like the the world was uh, aligned against them somehow. There were two highly questionable calls to end the third and one to start the fourth. So let's go through them one by one here. So first of all, uh, Bethel Thompson gets a drive together, completes six straight passes as we near the end of the, the third quarter. He throws one to Daniels. Daniels gets up and runs into the end zone, but they blow him down. Now, there were arms and legs very close to him, but having watched the replay now, I I can see very clearly no Hamilton Tiger Cat touched Devaris Daniels either before or after the catch. 
And that was that's a blown call. That's got to be a touchdown uh, to Devaris Daniels, which really would have helped our fantasy team, JB. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, and this is connected to the next blown call. I, uh, I'm not sure if, if the league is telling them or not, but certainly in the NFL, the referees are directed to not blow plays dead. Let them play out. We have replay. And we'll, you know, we'll, nobody's nobody's going to get hurt, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. But once you blow it dead, you you've ruined it. So you better be right. So what, you know? So I think the referees definitely have to get rid of that quick whistle because I don't understand why have one. You're you're eliminating a perfectly reasonable situation with like, look, that's too close to call. I'm not going to blow this dead. Let's see it on replay. The argument in some cases is to not get guys hurt. You don't want to yeah. allow extra contact, things like that. But that's not what this play was no, about no. here. I, I agree on that. On the other hand, sometimes you watch refs and there's like, where's the whistle on this, you know, on this forward progress? You know, you can't, you can't figure them out sometimes. Sometimes they're just like, no, I keep playing. And you're like, well, no, blow the whistle because that's when people get hurt. When you have forward progress and you don't blow it dead and then somebody comes in and cleans out. But yeah. On, on a on a pass on a on a strip fumble, you got to let that play out into the into the end zone. So they end up settling for a field goal. It's eleven eight at that point. Hamilton with their last possession of the third quarter. Morton is in, and Smith absolutely stripped the ball. It was called an incomplete pass, but it's not even close on the replay. Clearly, Smith knocks it out of Morton's hands. Morton's got an empty hand as it starts coming forwards. The referees blow it dead. And that is a defensive touchdown. The, the Argos defense, they now they didn't recover it immediately because they sort of responded to the whistle and then they recovered it. And this was this is a mistake from, from the Argos standpoint a little bit because how this works is if there is an immediate recovery, so if that ball falls to the ground and Toronto's immediately on it, there's nowhere else, one else close to it, you can act, you can challenge that and review that and give the ball to Toronto in that case. However, if there's even a slight pause, slight delay, players stop moving, and then there's a recovery, then there's no sense challenging that. If if Coach Jim Whitty had challenged that, what would have happened is they would have they would have said yes, it was a fumble, and the ball's dead where it landed, and so you've used your challenge for like a four yard loss, which doesn't make any sense. So. That's that's one of those things where you just as a defensive player, you've got to jump on that ball or, or scoop that ball up immediately. And then you've got a chance at uh, at your coach uh, coming to your rescue there. It still wouldn't have they wouldn't have allowed that to run in for a touchdown, but it, it could have been a Toronto recovery. But the correct thing to have happened there would have been a Toronto defensive touchdown. There was no Tiger Cat near them. There should have been no whistle at all. Toronto could have scooped and scored and uh, run in, <laughs> run it in easily for a, a defensive score. So yeah, they got robbed on the offense. They got robbed on the defense, and that uh, led us to the fourth quarter where the offense came alive once again. The defense continued to be outstanding, uh, but there was yet another call that could have gone uh, another way. It ended up not really mattering, but uh, the Argos punt into the wind. And I think it was White that mishandled the punt. It definitely, it definitely touched White as he came up to get it. But they, the, the referees weren't ruling that. You could see just based on their, based on their hand communication, they weren't ruling that that ball had been touched. It ended up going out of bounds anyway, so it didn't matter. But that's another one that had it bounced the other way. Toronto would have ended up picking that up because I can't remember who the gunner was that was charging down to get it. But he was after the ball. He clearly saw that the ball was touched. 
and they were going to end up getting a flag on that too. Now that one could have been challenged and overturned, but it's all for naught. It went out of bounds. And then suddenly Toronto is on fire. Uh, Hamilton goes for it on a third and one from their own 27. They get stuffed and then boom, Toronto hits them with JB. You called it. It was your one thing, I think, this week. The double reverse pass. <laughs> no, you should listen to the podcast more. That was last week. That was my one oh, thing. Right. All right. Sometimes I listen to what you say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, last week's one thing came through this week. Uh, double reverse pass, good call or bad call on the five-yard line? Yeah, amazing call. Um, <laughs> love it. Love it. I mean, I know. I mean, probably not. Um, but uh, look, if if that's where they're going to do it, so be it. But for the love of God, can we get some more misdirection into this offense? So I'm just happy that it worked and they scored a touchdown. I know that's not really an optimal spot for it. But I will take it and please see this success as a reason to have more motion and misdirection as a as a staple of the offense. I hate this play call in this situation, in this position. <laughs> I love that Coach Dinwiddie was being aggressive. Like he's he's a very conservative play caller. I really like that he wasn't conservative here. The game's on the line. He went for it. It worked kind of. But a double reverse pass in the five-yard line is, is not... To me, it looked like something went wrong. That happened to me early in my coaching career. I accidentally... Well, it was, it was stupidity on, on my part. I had some play signs that were very similar to each other. And my quarterback misinterpreted my signal from the sideline. And from my own three-yard line ran a double reverse pass. It ended up going for a touchdown. And I was hailed as a genius. But it was a mistake. It was a... It was a terrible, terrible thing to do I mean, in that situation. It, the only reason it worked is because it was so stupid that speaks, no one was looking for it. Right. I mean, it speaks a little bit to the desperation, I think, in the red zone um, that the offense is having. They're just not a confident group down there. And and when you've got to call a trick play, that usually means that you are, um, you know, grasping at straws. But nonetheless... It's a good, it, I think it's good for the team to see the success of that kind of play. Now, one last thing on that play, because I still don't understand what was supposed to happen on it. Because what happened, so to go back, uh, to run that play, so they're, at the, they're actually at the four-yard line. And Gittins comes across on uh, a jet uh, or an end around and uh, ends up, pitching it back to Banks, who's coming across from the right to the left. Banks is a left-handed uh, thrower. This is left-handed. And Banks was clearly looking to throw. And we know this because the offensive line is pass blocking. They're not run blocking into the end zone. They're all holding their ground at the line of scrimmage so they don't get caught for having an illegal man downfield. So this is a pass play. And Banks ends up not passing the ball. He pump fakes to nobody and then runs it into the end zone. Now, there's some great things that happened in there, and I'll talk about that in a second. My question is, who was he supposed to throw to? Because there was nobody there. When you watch that play, Banks is coming across looking. There's The only person close to that side of the field is Coxey, who's not in any position to field the ball. The receivers on the right side have stopped running, and obviously he's not going to throw back across his body all the way across the field side. The only thing I can think of is, is that this was supposed to be like a Philly special, where it goes back to Bethel Thompson. Like that's the, 
That's the only possibility on this play. As he comes around, Bethel Thompson is the only eligible receiver on that side, but he doesn't seem to know it because when you watch the Philly special or whatever you want to call it, I know you don't want to call it that being a Patriots fan, but whatever you want to call that play, that play's been run a ton of times, you know, John Elway and, you know, going going way back. A lot of quarterbacks have caught balls on that same kind of thing. I believe it was in the movie Necessary Roughness even. But on that play, the quarterback's got to wheel around. He's got to, he basically hits the sideline and then turns up field into the end zone. And that's not what Bethel Thompson was doing. So I think there was probably supposed to be a receiver coming across and he wasn't there. And so you really have to give it to Banks. That pump fake was brilliant because everybody froze. As soon as he brought it up to pass, everybody froze. There's nobody there. There's no one that he's looking at. There's no receiver. He's just, he's just stalling and being an athlete. Bethel Thompson ends up washing out uh, Carriel Brooks for a key block. And Banks is able to cut it back inside for a huge touchdown. It's 18-8 at that point. But they got really lucky there. That was not how it's supposed to look. And Banks almost got caught for like a 15-yard loss. Yeah, no. But the reverse and the double reverse remain undefeated. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's on film now. And it's an extra thing that people have to think about and plan for. So it worked out well. But something went wrong and something could have gone worse. So again, it's not not all uh, not all laurels. There are some <laughs> some darts in here. Not for me. So uh, eighteen eight, and the Argos offense keeps going. Now they isolate Banks on the right side. They run a beautiful slant and go. Uh, it it just it, it was perfectly run from Banks. It was a really nice pump fake as well uh, from uh, Bethel Thompson, and. Uh, they just completely uh, turned the corner around. I'm trying to remember who was out there defending for uh, for Hamilton. I think it was I think it was Randall Jr. that was isolated on Banks, and yeah, Banks had a really nice hard step to the inside, perfectly timed with Bethel Thompson's pump fake, and then he took it back to the outside and was able to to bring in a touchdown. And then went over to the TSN panel, and I don't know if he was taunting them or just sort of saying "I told you so" or whatever, but uh, he he did have a, a couple of words for them after his two touchdown day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just fired up. I, I, I certainly didn't hear them say too much. They've been, I think, rightly tough on Toronto and 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 tough on Banks from time to time. But uh, I took that more to be like him talking to his critics. Yeah, I, I said that too, and and we're among them as well. Like we don't feel like Banks has has played as well as he can play. Now we didn't. The difference is we don't really blame him because we haven't really felt like he should be in the position that he's been in this year, no. where he's been looked at as like no. a spark for the Argos offense. Yeah, he should not be wide receiver one. I love him, and I thought today was great. But I, you know, but look, I don't know. Maybe he can be wide receiver one. <laughs> he did look like it today. Like he was magic today. It was just one of those things that we've seen. We've been on the wrong end of so many of those days. So it was nice to have. It was nice to have one of those uh, work in favor of the Argos for once. So it's twenty-five to eight at that point. A field goal is added late to make it a twenty-eight-eight final, where the defense has a sort of pseudo shutout. And uh, and it's it looks like a, a huge victory on paper, but yeah, that didn't it wasn't it wasn't in the bag until late. What do you think about not bringing out Chad Kelly for that last drive up up twenty five to eight at that point, like two and a half minutes to go? I definitely bring in Chad Kelly there just to get some work, just to get a little bit of experience, hand off the ball a little bit, maybe maybe throw a pass. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, that, I mean that's kind of a uh, you know a, a philosophy. I mean again, you brought out my my New England. Uh, 
fandom, you know, t- Tom Brady never came out. Not at 42 nothing, not at 58 nothing. So, you know, that's just a belief. Players play and that's, you know, that seems to be how the Argos are going about it is, you know, the game is still on. He's still the starting quarterback and we're going to go forward with that. So I don't, I don't, I don't begrudge it. Was it Peyton Manning or Tom Brady who famously sent the backup quarterback back to the bench? Uh, Manning, the, the, the backup couldn't find his helmet for a second and Manning ran on. (laughs) <laughs> even though he wasn't supposed to yeah but to go too on. Late. Yeah. you know the backup didn't have his helmet ready and then that was that i wonder if there was a worry that that's what mbt was going to do but yeah i don't know i would have i i, I would have sent in kelly there i just think at, at that point garbage time yeah well, you know, the game's in hand now get yeah, him a few reps yeah i don't think so because what kind of rep handing the ball off just I, I don't mind that's fine in one pass like hand the ball off from first down if it's second and long they throw a pass well, they brought him in from some garbage time before and nearly got broken in half I know that's true. That's the you do look back to that. He, that was the BC game. They brought him in. He got oh sacked God. like you wouldn't believe. Oh, they were like, no, and then we're not gonna threw do that. an interception. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, no. It, nah, it's true. Just, that wasn't great. Yeah. Don't send your child out to the highway. Yeah. So that uh, that does it for the the recap. Let's let's do some uh, some accolades here. So uh, offensive player, defensive player of the game. Let's start with offensive player of the game. Uh, who are you going with? Um, well, I mean, it was, certainly was Banks Day, but for me, I, if you had been paying attention uh, to our previous podcast, the one thing I was looking for was uh, Olet having 100 yards um, from the line of scrimmage, which he accomplished. I felt they would win the game if he did. I thought that he is a player who's really going to be useful for the Argos. He's tough as nails. He absolutely hammers guys when they try and tackle him. He's got good hands out of the backfield. And uh, you know Hamilton didn't cover his passing routes this game. I don't I don't know why they they took that off. But if they're going to leave him open, I mean he he can catch and he is a load in space. So for me, I thought he was the spark uh, for the team. Look, he's still not going to turn nothing into something, but uh, he is a valuable part of the offense. And his hundred yards, I think, was the difference today. Absolutely. Yeah. He ended up with, I think, 116 uh, all-purpose yards uh, between between receiving and, and rushing. 11 carries for 46 and five receptions for 70. There, there are two really big things that stand out for me on this. Like he, he had no blocking whatsoever in that second and third quarter. They didn't run a lot there because they saw immediately it was a problem. What I like about this, so he ends up with 4.2 yards a carry. It's not amazing, but it's fine. It's way better than what the Argos have been getting. They've been getting two and three if they're lucky. 4.2 is okay. And what I really like about that is these stats aren't inflated by like one super huge run. His long run of the day was seven yards. So what that means is it's a pretty consistent five, you know, well, I guess it's a pretty consistent 4.2 yards a carry. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, taking pretty much every rush. They're taking their moments, right? Like we're like, okay, we got to look here and we're going to kind of catch him by surprise occasionally. Um, I, I'm, it, it still is an issue. I think, you know, moving forward in terms of being able to run the ball at will. Um, but, uh, man, I, I am so impressed with his hands, uh, catching the ball. Uh, that's, that's going to be, you know, that, that's a great, that is a great asset, you know, because he is, if, you know, if you're a cornerback, he, he, you know, it's like he's like using a fullback. Like he is going to hammer you in that open field. So I love, 
I love him uh, catching the ball. And the more confident he gets with that, if we can get a little more running help, I think he's going to really be an important part. Yeah, it, it, defensively, they came at Toronto very differently. Because remember last game, they took away A.J. Olette yeah, as yeah, a receiver. Yeah, they were all over him. Yeah, and today they just sort of let him let him wander out in those uh, those leaks and late releases and swing passes, <laughs> and they just kept going to him. File that under. I don't know what the hell Hamilton was doing. Yeah, there was a lot of questions today. Uh, how about the running from just before we move on to my offensive player of the game? How about the running from uh, Daniel Adubaboy? Yeah, great a, run, nice little run oh. there in the fourth quarter. Yeah, really nice run. He trucked a couple guys too. He ends up with three carries for twenty one yards. Great to see him get some action yeah, there. Hundred percent. You know. Again, you know, it's going to be slow and easy, but, you know, that's that's not, you know, that's not nothing. Even in the fourth quarter, even when you're up to to be able to to run that through, I think is uh, is a great sign. My offensive player of the, ga- the day is uh, Brandon Banks. I just think that based on uh, what he did today and the pressure that's been on him and the position that that he's been put in again and again. Uh, it's an amazing game. A two-touchdown day, a really heads-up play on his touchdown run. It's only, it only goes down as a four-yard run, but he ran like 130 yards to, to get that four yards. And it was a really smart decision. How many times do you see receivers on those plays where they have an option to pass? How many times do you see them not pass and make the correct decision to tuck that ball and run it in? And that's exactly what he did. It was a really heads up play. He gets the touchdown and a beautiful route on on the uh, the play on the sideline where he's got that slant and go. It was just really nicely run. His stats don't fly off the page. Two receptions on five targets doesn't sound great. But he connected when it mattered most and two touchdowns. You can't really argue with that performance. Yeah, and shout out to the Argos for, you know, if you, if you saw Banks' interview with uh, Banks Jr., um, you know, he was shouting out the Argos for, for supporting him, you know, as a, you know, a single parent and letting his son come to the practices and, and be a part of the team and be there at the game and on the sideline. And he was really pretty, like, emotional and clearly touched by it. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff I love to see the franchise do and you know like they joked about man if that makes speedy play like that then you know by all means you know keep keep it up the Argos are fantastic with that we see that all the time when we go to practices where they've got family members and you know their their kids players kids all over the place you've got uh, players uh, wives and family members and uh, parents, uh, we've had a chance to talk to a lot of different family members at practice who are just excited to come out and watch their their kids uh, play some football. The defensive side of the ball, JB, who is your defensive player of the game? Hmm. I mean, look, Peters put up the numbers, but I thought both those were, you know, they were tips and uh, he he played great. But for me, I'm going to go with uh, Mwamba. I think that um, he is underrated. Um, because he, he doesn't get a lot of sacks and he's he's not necessarily the flashiest guy in the world. But man, he just crushes anybody who's running those underneath routes and punishing uh, players when they try and you know catch the screens or if they're if they're just get, if they get through. Um, he is the battering ram of the defense. So uh, Enoch Mwamba for me, I thought he came ready to play. I thought he laid some some stick early. She kind of set the tone and, uh, you know, I don't think we give him enough. Uh, we're so used to him being so good. I don't know if we necessarily showed him out enough. 
Yeah, that's a good call. And like, like we were talking about before, Jamal Peters on the stat sheet is definitely the defensive player of the game. I'm not going to go that direction either because compared to last week, he was just a very different thing. And again, Jamal Peters played a great game and he had two picks. He was in the right place at the right time. But I'm going to give my player of the game to Winton McManus because this was such an unusual, amazing game for him. Usually when we praise Winton McManus, it's in games where he makes 10 tackles, where he's just all over the place. He's in the backfield, lighting guys up, highlight real plays, whatever it is. This game was very different because he wasn't sent a lot. Even though the Argos were sending a ton of pressure, he was actually dropping back into coverage more than usual. And he was taking away space beautifully. He got his hands on a couple passes that led to Jamal Peters' interceptions and was a, a nuisance, was a menace. And they were, you know, they were looking for him to be something that he wasn't today. And he sort of tricked them into, into making some bad plays. So uh, an uncharacteristic uh, game for McManus, but still an amazing game. And I think he was deserving of player of the game because it shows you he can do something different. We know how great McManus is at all the other stuff. And today we got to see him doing something that we really haven't seen all year. And that goes for Coach Mace in general, calling a style of defense that we haven't seen all year. You didn't see those three men, like how, all year this year, it's been three man rush, eight men into coverage. Uh, occasionally you'll, you know, you might send McManus or something like that. But yeah, it was, it was like the opposite of that today. And yeah, McManus played it beautifully because he's a really versatile linebacker. And I think he's the best will linebacker in the East. Yeah. And he was starting to get some recognition, uh, from the television broadcast about being, uh, one of the best players in the East. So I think that, that, that narrative is definitely picking up. And, uh, you know, I think he's, he's well on his way to, to being recognized for that. Where are you going for player of the game? Well, where else? Double reverse. <laughs> it was the dagger in the game that was the dagger. So a dagger within a dagger. Uh, loved it. Ballsy call. Banks. Great touchdown. Play of the game. Hands down. My play of the game is going to go to the defense as we complete the role rever reversal that we've got going on here. It was the third and one stop. Yeah, the oh, so good. Tight game in the third quarter. Hamilton going for it on third and one from their own 27, I think it was. And how many times this year have we seen this just be automatic from other teams? Well, usually the Argos line up offside on every third and one that they face. Mm -hmm. And it seems like every week a team is able to come in and get it, especially uh, the, a big, heavy quarterback like Newman, who's such a great runner. We saw him torch the Argos a few weeks ago uh, on long runs and quarterback sneaks where he was getting four and five yards. And uh, on this particular sneak, I, I think it was Morton in the game on that sneak. And uh, the Argos just stood up the offensive line. There was nowhere for him to go. He made the correct read in that he should come around the outside, but it got blown up and he got sent backwards. And uh, yeah, it was just a huge momentum swing. The Argos ran their double reverse pass run uh, a few plays after that. But to me, it was that stop. That was a huge play. And it was even bigger because on the series before, I kind of felt like Toronto should have gone for it. They were in a third and one scenario on like their 40 or something like that. And I felt like that was a, a time for Toronto to go. They punted it away, which turned out to be the right move. And uh, Hamilton went for it, which turned out to be the wrong move. 
JB, we've got a pretty short week this week with Toronto traveling to Ottawa Saturday afternoon, a 2 p.m. game. So our uh, pregame walkthrough will come to you late Wednesday night. Be sure to look for that. And as always, you can find JB's report card on xsandargos.com, plus all of our other stuff, video breakdowns, articles, chalk talk, you name it. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.